Thanks, Liz, and good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us online. What I want to talk about this morning is how to stay healthy in a pandemic. And obviously, the pandemic I have in mind is COVID-19, the coronavirus. With the benefit of hindsight, it was a smart move by Britvic back in the 1990s to stop selling corona fizzy drinks. I wonder if you can remember them. I grew up as a kid absolutely loving their cream soda. Wikipedia says that their most memorable advertising campaign was Every Bubble Has Passed Its Physical. With jokes like that, no wonder they stopped trading. And talking of stopping trading, the producer of Corona Beer, which is part of Anheuser-Busch, stopped production back in April after consumers mistakenly associated it with the coronavirus. Where in the world could that have happened, you may ask? In a recent survey, 38% of beer drinkers in the US said that they would not buy Corona beer, quote, under any circumstances. Make of that what you will. Nearer to home, the government has been working really hard to help us all stay healthy during the pandemic, and slowly they've been starting to ease the restrictions. Although one thing that we've learned is not to take too much notice of the headlines until we've seen the small print. When Boris announced in the House of Commons that places of worship could now safely reopen, the sectoral guidance that they put out a few days later as to what safely reopening looks like in practice was 6,500 words, which is one and a half sermons. And the guidelines included no singing, no children's activities, no touching, no hugging, no food, and no talking to people that you didn't come with, which is pretty much the exact opposite of a normal vineyard Sunday morning. The only thing I could see that they left out was no tambourines. Now, I don't know about you, but it's getting increasingly hard to remember what all of the rules are at the moment. But the government is doing its best to explain them to us, including some very helpful visual demonstrations from cabinet ministers. For example, here's Liz Trust and Michael Gove showing the importance of wearing a face mask when you get a takeaway from Pret-a-Manger. Or not wearing a face mask when you get a takeaway from Pret-a-Manger. But according to uh, the Daily Telegraph, Mr. Gove said that wearing a face mark is good sense and good manners. So that's cleared that one up then. Now, joking aside, obviously we all want to be doing all that we can to keep people safe. And that includes face masks and all of the guidance that they are giving to us as individuals and as a church. We want to be doing all of that. Because it's the job of the government and the scientific advisors to tell us how we can stay healthy during the pandemic. But what I want to talk about this morning is how can we stay spiritually healthy? And not just as individuals, but also spiritually healthy as the body of Christ as well. Because being the body of Christ, which is one of the uh, Bible's favourite ways of talking about the church 
has not been suspended for the duration. The Holy Spirit has not been furloughed. God has got plans and purposes for us at this time. And he still has a part for every single one of us to be playing in what he wants to do. Not just once we start meeting again, but now as well. So we're going to ask ourselves this morning, what is that part? In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, the Apostle Paul says, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And when he says members, he doesn't mean like members of a golf club or a health club. He means members in the sense of arms and legs and fingers and toes. Healthy Christians are connected to the body of Christ in the same way that healthy limbs are joined to a physical body. If you cut off fingers and toes, they don't stay healthy very long because they're not connected as they're supposed to be. And the picture that it's painting is that our relationship to Christ, our connection to Christ, and our identity and calling as a Christian doesn't just come from being directly joined to Jesus, but also being directly joined to other Christians in the local church as well. 1 Corinthians 12.18 tells us that God has placed each part in the body every one of them, just as he wanted it to be. So if the arms and legs and fingers and toes of a physical body need to be joined and functioning to be healthy, so also do we as members of Christ's body. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, where is my part in the body? Where has God placed me? Where does he want me to be joined and functioning in his body at this time? Not just when all this is over, but now as well. God has a place for us now, a role in what he's doing now, which is unique to us. So we need to be asking ourselves, what is that? There's a U-shaped space and a me-shaped space that is reserved just for us. So if you and I don't fill our places, then there will be gaps. Things that God wants to happen won't happen. If we go into our shell, if we batten down the hatches, if we circle the wagons around our own personal world and sit on our hands and go into hibernation and mix our metaphors as badly as I just did. So what I want to do this morning is to suggest five things that we can use as a kind of checklist to track and trace how healthy we are as a Christian, as part of the body of Christ, during these times. The government's track and trace might not have worked, but I guarantee that this one will. So you can maybe write them on a postcard and stick it on the bathroom mirror and ask yourself every morning, how well am I doing with each of these things? Okay, number one, worship the Lord 
in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 96, verse 9. Now you would think that as a vineyard church, the very last thing that we would need reminding about is worshipping the Lord. But when the pressure comes on in a crisis situation, it's amazing what goes out of the window. Our natural human tendencies to be self-centred and self-absorbed cut in and take over. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that mankind's chief aim is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But when the pressure comes on, we can so easily forget that and get absorbed with just ourselves. Our faith goes into lockdown. Our relationship with God goes into lockdown. And the antidote to that is to become a worshipper again to help us to regain a heavenly perspective. The root meaning of the word holy is to be set apart or dedicated to God. Are we making time for worship that's set apart, that is dedicated to God? Not just time when we're in the car or when we're out shopping, which, which is fine to do as well, but not if that is all that we do. Are we making time that is exclusively for him and that isn't being shared with other things? Worship is about giving God priority. Worshipping every day reminds us that God should be at the centre of our lives every day. It reminds us that we live in a heliocentric universe, where we revolve around the sun, not a geocentric universe where the sun revolves around us. We need to be asking ourselves in this current crisis, have we been revolving around God or has it been more a case of making him revolve around us? James 4.8 says, come close to God and he will come close to you. If we want to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, in the beauty of set-apartness, then we have to be intentional about doing it. The reason that the Bible condemns idolatry is because an idol is something that takes God's place. Anything that comes in front of God in our ordering of our life priorities is an idol. And that is because everyone is a worshipper, whether they are a Christian or not. The only question is who or what it is that we're worshipping. Dave Miller is a worship pastor at Trent Vineyard and he puts it like this. He says, we worship what we value the most. Whatever it is that has hold of our heart's affection our mind's attention and our soul's ambition. In other words, whatever we think about the most, pursue the most, give to the most, and prioritise the most, those are the things that we're worshipping. Dave says that our checkbooks and our diaries are theological documents because more than anything else, they are telling us what we love. Worshipping the Lord is way more than just singing songs. 
So let's ask ourselves, has our worship fallen away in the pandemic? If it has, let's make a decision this morning to track and trace worshipping the Lord in the beauty of holiness from this day on. Number two, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Now you may wonder why it says that, why we need to take every thought captive. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But the reason is because left to themselves, our thoughts will not be obedient to Christ. If I don't take them captive, they will take me captive. The reason that Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, is because we need to be telling our soul what to do. Otherwise, our soul will be telling us what to do, which is what's most comfortable and what's least costly. The path of least resistance. The option that suits our soul the most and our creature comforts the most. Because blessing the Lord does not come naturally. Blessing me is what comes naturally. Every action starts with a decision. And every decision starts with a thought. So if our thoughts are right, then our actions will be right. If Jesus is Lord of our thoughts, then Jesus will be Lord of our decisions. But if our thoughts are not right then neither will what we do be right. We need to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. The Bible tells us that we have three enemies in this life. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're called the unholy trinity because they're the three forces that are warring against Jesus being Lord in how we go about living our lives. And our thoughts are where the battles are taking place. The world is tempting us to think like the people around us and to be sharing their priorities. The flesh is tempting us to look after number one and to be selfish and just do what we feel like doing. And the devil is tempting us to listen to lies instead of truth and fear instead of faith. That's why he is called the accuser and the father of lies. And all of these temptations are coming to us through our thoughts. They're inviting us to make our decisions as to how we should live and what we should do based on the way the world thinks and the flesh thinks and the devil thinks instead of the way that God thinks. So let's ask ourselves, have we been taking every thought captive during this pandemic? Or are there times when our thoughts have been taking us captive, when we've been listening to the wrong voices? And if so, let's not get condemned about it. But let's make a decision this morning to track and trace every thought and take it captive and make it obedient to Christ from this day on. Number three, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 16. 
Now, the New Testament Greek word here for redeeming is unpronounceable, or at least by me. Where's Lynn when you need her? So I'm not going to try, but what that word means is paying a price to recover something from being under the power of something else. It means to buy it up or to buy it back for oneself. I doubt that this is what Paul meant originally, but one way in which the days are evil in today's world, it seems to me, is that they steal our time. Something that we've experienced in the pandemic is that we've lost control of our time, haven't we? For some of us, that's because we've been working at home or having children at home and being in lockdown. We've lost our freedom to choose what we do with our time. So although you might think that with lockdown we'd have a lot more time, sometimes the very opposite seems to be the case. So Paul says, both here and in Colossians 4-5, that we need to be redeeming the time. We need to buy it back, to buy it up, like people were buying up toilet rolls. Well, maybe not quite like people were buying up toilet rolls, but you get the general idea. And just like buying anything, at least buying anything that's worth having, to do that is going to cost us something. We will have to pay a price in order to recover it. Now, I can't say what redeeming the time in your life will look like exactly. I can't tell you how to go about it. All I can say is that just like all of the verses that we're looking at this morning, they're commands. They're things that the Bible tells us to do. They're not things that we're told to pray about and ask God to do for us. They need intentionality on our part. As our friend Andy Gilbert always says, Thus saith the Lord, just do it. I think he got that from Nike, but they're still very wise words. And you know, God never asks us to do anything that's not in our power to do, especially when he promises to be there to help us. There's a a phrase that you hear people saying quite often these days, which is, me time. I need some me time. And that's actually a good thing. Yes, we do. But along with that me time, we also need God time and other people time. So yes, we need to be redeeming time to love ourselves. But we also need to be redeeming time to love God and to love each other. And remember that love is a doing word, not a feeling word. We can't love our neighbour as ourselves if we're not loving ourselves in the first place. But if we're only ever loving ourselves, then not only are we not loving our neighbour, but we're also not loving God. Because Jesus himself said that from God's perspective... Loving him was loving people. And Jesus defined love 
in terms of what we do, not just how we feel. Take a look at Matthew chapter 25 from verse 31 onwards a bit later and you'll see what I mean. So let me ask the question, do you need to be redeeming the time in your life right now? Time to invest in yourself, to invest in God and to invest in other people. If that resonates with you, then why not make a decision this morning to do that? Add that to the list on the bathroom mirror so you can track and trace redeeming the time from now on. Number four, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10, 25. Wow, this is a really difficult one, isn't it? You may say, well, that's all very well, Steve, but we can't come to church at the moment. Why are you quoting a verse like this to us when we can't meet together? Isn't this verse irrelevant until church is open again? Well, I'm not quoting it to make us feel guilty about what we can't do, but to challenge us to think about what we could do. I'm challenging us to not just give up on the idea of meeting together until some unspecified time in the future because it's difficult right now. The message paraphrase of this verse says, let's see how inventive we can be. Now, I have absolutely no idea where Eugene Peterson gets that from in the Greek, but I do nonetheless like the idea. How inventive can you be in meeting together? Joining in with the Facebook Live midday prayer and worship during the week is one way. Joining some connect groups that are meeting over Zoom is another way. Offering to lead a connect group next term is another way. Inviting just a few people around to your house or your garden within the government's guidelines is another way. But please, not just giving up and not doing anything until this is all over because it's difficult. Make a list of a few people that you know in the church and phone them once a week to see how they're doing and pray together, chat together. And and not just people that you know well who are already your friends, but also include some people that you don't know that well. Ask God who you should have on your list. And the reason that all of this is so important is because we know in our heads that the church is not the building and that being the church is not the same thing as going to church. But it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that the church is the people. So the health of the church, COVID or no COVID, is down to us. It's down to every single one of us. Ephesians 4.16 says this, The whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 
So we can't just leave everything to the staff team or the leadership team or the current connect group leaders and just drop out of church personally until the building is open again. Because the church is fitted and held together not by what the pastors supply, but by what every single one of us supplies. It's not just that everybody gets to play, but everyone has to play for the church to be as God intends it to be. So please ask yourself, what does the proper working of my individual part look like at this time? What am I supplying to the body at this time? Has my focus been too much on what I'm being supplied with and not enough on what it is that I am supplying? You see, God doesn't want us to be thinking like consumers, but to be thinking like contributors. Not just to be asking ourselves at this time, well, what is blessing me the most? but how can I be a blessing the most? Because Christianity has never been a spectator sport. So let's ask ourselves afresh this morning, shall we? Have I been guilty of giving up meeting together because it's harder? Have I prioritised other things instead of meeting together? Have I got into the habit of doing that? Why not make a decision this morning to change and see how inventive we can be in meeting together. How God may be asking us to contribute to the body of Christ here, which is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies and the proper working of each individual part. And then last, but by no means least, number five, Remember the poor, Galatians 2.10. Now, the, the background to this is that the biggest theological debate that was going on in the early church was whether Gentiles could be included without practicing Torah, as Jewish believers did. Circumcision and food laws and the Sabbath and so on. And there was a, a big meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 to figure that out with Peter, James and John, and Paul and Barnabas and Titus. And Paul mentions this meeting in Galatians 2. And what they decided was that Gentiles were welcome to be Jesus' followers without having to become Jews as well. All they asked of us, says Paul, was that we should continue to remember the poor. That's where this phrase comes from. And, and that is because it's so easy for the poor to get forgotten. When the pressure is on us and our time and our finances and our needs and our own families, it's easy for the poor to be forgotten. And that's not just the materially poor, but the spiritually poor as well. Those who are isolated and have no family and friends to take an interest in them. So they said, make sure that you remember the poor. It's astonishing that we should ever be in danger of forgetting the poor. 
when in Jesus' very first sermon in Luke chapter 4, where he sets out his mission statement, he says this right at the start. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And Jesus didn't invent those words himself. He's quoting from the Old Testament in Isaiah 61. Being good news to the poor has always been God's heart and God's priority, which is why it is for us as a church as well with the things that we are doing through Storehouse. I can never understand how any church could see being good news to the poor as just an optional extra. Wherever Jesus is, good news for the poor should be happening. So one of the things that we are committed to doing here as part of what it means for us to be healthy Christians and to be a healthy church in this time of pandemic is remembering the poor. Now it's important for me just to say at this point that that phrase, the poor, is not one that we use day to day. Instead, we talk about those who are disadvantaged or find themselves in need of help and support. But it does have a technical meaning in biblical theology. And so that's the sense in which I am using it this morning. Storehouse, which is our compassion ministry, will always be a priority to us. And we are committed to doing everything that it takes, everything within our power, whatever it costs, to meet the demand that we are seeing, especially for food, when people are struggling and suffering and losing their jobs and so on. Even though the lockdown is gradually easing, the number of people needing help is not, and it will not, for a very long period of time to come. And that's why we're continuing to open six days a week. It's why we're still seeing twice as many people and giving them a whole lot more food and the very nicest food that we can find and that we can source. Not just cans and packets, but freshly cooked meals as well. It's why we're completely reorganising the storehouse parts of the building with three times the amount of space given over to food. So do please ask yourself, what does it mean for me and my family to be remembering the poor at this time? What is God asking me to do as part of the body of Christ in this place, to be remembering the poor through what we're doing in storehouse. So let me leave you with one final reminder of those five things that we can use as a checklist to gauge how healthy we are as Christians, as part of his church, during this time of pandemic. Five things that the Bible encourages us to do. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Take every thought captive. Redeem the time. Don't give up meeting together. And remember the poor. Write these on a postcard, stick it on your bathroom mirror, and ask yourself every day, how am I doing? What am I doing to stay healthy as a Christian in each 
of these five areas. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, you are Christ's body and individually you're members of it. He says that God has placed each part in the body, every one of us, just as he wants us to be. So you have a unique place. You have a unique role and calling in what God is asking you to contribute to his church, even in a time of pandemic. So what is that? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now and give us the vision and the courage to be obedient to what you're saying to us and to act upon that. In Jesus' name, amen.